All right, all right, all right. Hey, this is uh, uh, very, very important to me right now. This is Kevin Williams, and um, this is so great to be having my first podcast. This is my first episode. Um, being able to do this is, like, very, very important to me. Um, I'm able to get my opinion, get my opinion across. I want, I want to talk to a lot of people and get information out there and let everybody know how we are going to be able to navigate through this world with things changing right now. And when I say changing, I mean as far as race relations in this country, what we've just went through with all this upheaval, actually what we're still going through right now is a lot of protest out there. And um, this is what I want to talk about on my podcast, my podcast. Yeah, I said it. That's the name of this podcast. So no matter I want everybody to know when I say something, I'm backing it up. So, yeah, I said it. I'm Kevin Williams. I'm a comedian. I've been doing comedy for almost 30 years. 30 years I started in the military. I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in the housing projects on 20, 24th Street. Um, after high school, I graduated and uh, I joined the Army. Joined the Army. I was in the Army for seven years. Got out of the Army enrolled into college halfway through my second semester I was called back to serve in Desert Storm I had to go to Kuwait so I had to quit college and go to Kuwait when I came back from Kuwait it was right in the middle of of the semester so I couldn't go back to school and there was no way I was gonna wait six more months to start school again so I joined the U.S. Coast Guard and I did seven years in the Coast Guard. So I have military service. Um, and after that, I uh, during while I was in the Coast Guard, I started doing stand-up comedy. One thing I could say I'm very appreciative of being in the Coast Guard, they let me travel. They let me learn the art of doing stand-up. They never told me I couldn't go do a gig or anything. They helped me in the point where at one time, the Coast Guard had a base in New York, Governor's Island. They closed it, but they needed people to go there and help process all these people off. So I volunteered for six months to go there in a temporary duty capacity. And I lived in New York for six months, which was, as a as a comedian, just learning the craft is one of the greatest gifts you can get. I saw, I saw Tracy Morgan. I saw... JB Smooth. I saw so many comedians and I learned from I learned from them. When I left in six months, I was so much of a of a strong comedian. Not cause not because I learned from them, because I got booed a lot when I was in New York. <laughs> I did. I got booed a lot. But it helped me learn my crap. It, it, let me tell you a real quick story. The first time I got booed, I was in New Jersey, actually. I was auditioning for Deaf Comedy Jam. And so uh, the crowd the crowd was terrible. The crowd was terrible. They wasn't even giving the MC any love. Like, he was struggling. So I'm the first guy up. So he's trying to tell jokes. They not feeling them. So this is how he brings me up. He's like, y'all don't like that joke? Uh, okay. Well, let me bring up the next comedian then. I'm like, oh, my God. And so I go up there, and it it was ugly. It was this guy came up to the stage and he was yelling right at the stage. He was looking at me and going, "You are not funny. 
please. You are not funny. So I get off the stage, and the producer for the show is standing, like, right at the end when I get off the stage. And she's just shaking her head, like, I, I'm, uh, you know. And I'm like, yeah, we, we, we understand. I understand. So we don't have to go to any further. I know I didn't get, I know I'm not going to be on Def Comedy Jam. I know that. So I, I I learned a lot being in New York, and um, so once I got out of the Coast Guard, I um, I pursued my uh, career as a comedian full time, and then I went back and got my degree in communications at uh, Columbia Columbia College here. So that's just a brief background of who I am, and um, so you'll know where my opinion stems from. So you know, um, I'm a black man, of course. Um, I don't know if you could tell in my voice, but yes, I am a black man. And I have, I always tell people, I have a doctorate in being a black man in America. I tell everybody, not, not, not a bachelor's, not a master's. I got a doctorate because I've been all over this country. I've been in situations where I was like, wow, where am I? Where, where am I? What am I doing here? Um, one of the things, and, and it's the racism here in in the United States that really molds a black man's persona because he has to know how he can navigate through this country. And, well, I'm not going to say he has to know, but he always tries how to navigate this stuff without experiencing some kind of racism. I know that sounds kind of like, what? But actually, every almost, I can say almost every morning, Every black man wakes up, and when he hits the door, he goes, man, I hope I don't have to experience no racism today. I hope I don't have to deal with that. And it got to, for me, it's like it's kind of easy to say. It's kind of easy to, it's, it's, it's become normal, normalized in my life that I'm wishing that and hoping that I don't experience any racism. And then I was thinking, well, why do I have to be like that? I learned from that one time I was in Germany. I was I was doing a tour, a comedy tour in Germany. And me and this guy got up one morning and was like, man, let's go get something to eat. So we leave the hotel and I get like halfway where we're going. I was like, oh, man, I forgot my wallet. I forgot my wallet. And the, the white guy who's with me, he was like, oh, no problem, man. I'll pay for you. I was like, no, I got money. I just don't have no ID. And he was like, well, why are you worried about? I was like, cause what if the police, you know, asked me and I don't have no. He was like, why would anybody ask you for your ID, Kevin? And I realized how programmed I was, how how programmed I was for racism to think that I can't if I don't have my ID, something's wrong with me. And and the white guy I was with, he was like, why would you why would you think that, Kevin? I was like, you're right. Why am I scared to go anywhere? Because being in the United States, a black man without ID is is terrible. It's terrible. So with this podcast, I want to be able to talk and let everybody know about some of the things as far as racism a black man has to go to. The understanding of how it is to be black, especially a black man in the United States, because after that tweet and what Drew Brees said, to say that, People are not understanding the plight of what black people go through. Some are and some aren't. Well, I want to reach the ones that don't understand. 
for Drew Brees to say, well, my grand, my grandfather, he died for this country in the military. Well, I served in the military too. And our forefathers served in the military and they gave their life and they came back and they weren't even able to get a sandwich at a counter. Okay. I didn't experience the level of racism um, that they did, but I had a bad experience being in the military. This is one of the days in the military that I will never forget. The day after the Rodney King verdict, the next morning I was assigned to color detail. I had to raise the flag. Do you know how hard it was to stand there and salute that flag a day after I was just told that a black man life don't mean nothing? I had to stand there and salute that flag as it went up the, the flagpole. One of the worst that, I mean, up until that day, first of all, being in the military, and this honest, this is so honest, black people in the military, we joke about doing colors. We, we It's not really serious to us. Now, you can look at us and we raising the flag, you're like, wow, that sure did look professional. We can snap into that. We can snap into that, bam. But deep inside, we going, we don't really feel it like that. And that day, I had to raise that flag. I, I couldn't. I couldn't wait till that flag hit the top so I can get up out of there. I felt so bad. And, to, and that happens to this day, to this day. Every black man has probably had an issue with the flag, and they do. Um, one of the things I want to talk about today that I want to introduce, I want to talk to black people, and I want to get a perspective and let people know stories of their negative you know, interactions with the police, you know. And it's so funny, when I was talking to other black comedians, I was like, I would ask, I was like, if they had. And and I was waiting for other comedians to go, nah, not me. But all of them had a story. All of them had a story. I got like five of them. But it's just like, I, I was hoping that a few of them would call like, nah, Kevin, I, I've never had a negative, uh, a negative you know, interaction with the police. They've all had, some had three, four interactions. And some of them are like, you know, why Why did it go to that? So um, one of the people that I want to bring on the show that he's going to call in, um, uh, a friend of mine, Ty Brownlow. He has a show on YouTube, Word with Ty Brownlow. He's a black man. He grew up here in Chicago went to Illinois State. He lives out in California right now, and he's navigating his way to become, well, he is a talk show host, and he he has a show on on YouTube, and I've been on it. He's, he is very, very, the word I want to use is focused on as far as helping African Americans achieve a better life, um, giving them information to help them get there. So um, let me bring Ty. Ty, uh, is he there? Is Ty there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, Ty, how you doing, man? How you doing, brother? Man, first of all, I want to thank you, man, for for being on my first podcast, for real. Cause well, like, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, I the, appreciate it. Yes, because when I, when I thought, I was like, man, who's going to be my first guest? And I got to have Ty <laughs> on here because we, me and you have very interesting conversations. And yeah. one of the things now, I, and I'm going to get with you on the, the, the police and your, your negative interaction with the police. One of the things we were talking about is how we have to keep abreast of 
of the the legal things that go all around the country, not just where we live. One of the things we talked about today is the the DA in in LA. Can can you give talk to the people and tell them exactly what's going on with that? Okay. Um as you know, as pretty much as Kevin said, I am originally from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I've been out in Los Angeles, um, California since 2018, so about two years now. Um, but I am very involved in what goes on in the community, no matter where I am. Um, just because I'm here in LA, I always try to keep um, I always try to keep in touch with what's going on back home in Chicago in the neighborhood, as well as, you know, my people in Memphis, my people in Florida, people all over the state. So um, I want to get to what you just talked about and Miss Jackie Lacey. Um, That's the DA, the district attorney of Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Um, Jackie Lacey is under a lot of scrutiny from the black community here in Los Angeles because of her, um, I guess because of the lack of, you know, awareness that she shows towards the African-American community when it comes to police brutality. There was an incident not too long ago, um, maybe, I'm going to say maybe, well, last month, I'll just say last month where, you know, a, you know, man was, um, pretty much, um, man, he was beat by the police. It was right. Tate. Yeah, um, I, I and, saw the video, and a lot of people probably saw the video where yes. he's standing so, on the fence. And the, right, he's standing the, on the fence, and this male officer is just attacking him. And exactly. the female officer that's with him really fails to do anything like she, like, like you know, beating on the young man. And um, this incident, along with plenty of other um, incidents when it comes to police brutality out here in L.A., um, the African-American community feels has fallen on deaf ears when it comes to Jackie Lacey. They feel she hasn't done enough to, uh, you know, pretty much correct these officers who have done wrong. Right. So... So, you know, basically right now you see a distrust of the African-American community and Jackie Lacey at this point. There was another incident earlier this year, I believe in January, um, where there was um, basically an incident that happened here. I believe it was another incident involving police brutality and people pretty much had enough. Right. So there was a protest and that protest um basically landed on her doorstep, the doorstep of Jackie Lacey. And early in the morning, and basically in the midst of this protest, her husband comes to the door with a gun, threatening the threatening the um, protesters to get off his property. So mm. um, there's been a little bit of um, an issue as far as that as well. So she's facing heat for a number of issues, primarily her stance on police brutality, but also with the incident of the protesters going to her home and her husband pulling a gun on the protest. Now, see, that's, and, and she's black. She's and, yeah, black. She's black. She, she's a African-American um, female um, district attorney here in L.A., Jackie Lacey. And um, 
basically she does not have the trust of most of the african-american community yet and see that's that's very important because because a lot of people look at bruce police brutality as uh it's all white is yes, white now the officer the officer who did it okay he was white and I think the yes. victim was maybe Hispanic or something. Oh. I believe the uh, I believe the victim was Hispanic. Hispanic that was accosted by the fence. Yes. Yes. And so to have someone like that in power who sees a private citizen being brutalized by the police and she does nothing, she does nothing. That to me, it should be automatically. You should be able to. We should be able to remove that person out of office immediately because she's not looking out for the public safety. No. She's not. She's not. Whether and that guy was black, brown, green, that the way that police officer just started wailing on him, and the video is on is online. Oh you guys yeah, can go it's on online. Like, see. I mean, you can go look that up. That's like a national record. And was his but, was his hands was he handcuffed? Yes, I believe he was handcuffed. He did not. Listen, he did not retaliate, not one man, not at all. Like Wow. And he hit him about no seven times. Uh, he, well, yeah, well, seven is pretty mild. But, yeah, he hit him, he yeah. hit him quite a few times. And, you know, as I said before, the female officer that was with him did nothing to stop the incident. You know, it was almost as if, um, basically it looked as if this is not the first time that this has happened and she's probably tried that before mm-hmm. and he's hit her. Right. Yeah. I could tell cause she kind of like, she, she was very, you know, she didn't, she wasn't like, Hey, Hey, she was like, uh, excuse no, me. she was very excuse timid me. about it as if, yeah, <laughs> as if, you I know, know what? you're in the middle of a beating happen again. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know this is what you usually do, but uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, I, not someone may be <laughs> filming. Someone may be filming. I don't want you know to get my bad side. No, but no, no, no. And I don't um, mean to make light of that because that's a no. traumatic experience to go. That that is um. Think about it, Ty. Think this guy got beat by the police. He got beat. Yeah. So that's a traumatic mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. I have had traumatic experience with police where they didn't even touch me, where they yeah. they were able to intimidate me and make me feel less yeah. than they where I mm-hmm. never forgot. And sometimes people are like, oh, you know, that was an isolated incident. No, no. I've had that isolated incident happen to me at least four <laughs> or five times, four or five times. Now, and I always talk, I always talk, and I like to tell people that it's not just isolated incidents black men are always having these uncomfortable interactions with police you as a black mm. man you grew up here in chicago i know you yeah. had one can if you had one can you tell me about it um i'm going to bring up an incident i could bring up several incidents mm-hmm. i want to bring up two incidents the first we all incident can bring, bring up, up several <laughs> The first incident I want to bring up, I was at Illinois State University. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in college down at Illinois State, down in Normal. Well, moving to Normal, Illinois, 
And, um, you know, because they pretty much pride themselves on, you know, not being racist at all. You know, racism does not exist in Bloomington, Illinois. There's, mm. there's an actual sign that says that before you go into Bloomington, which lets you know that truly okay. is racist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, no, I used to do a uh, show in Peoria, and I used to come to Bloomington a lot, so I know it's Oh, doing. so, yeah, so, you know. Yes. Um, Man, when I was at Illinois State, I was pledging a fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma. I was with my line brothers at the time, and we were in the car driving. I can't tell you where we were going, probably to Hardee's or somewhere like that to get something to eat. But we were in a 92 Maxima, okay? Mm-hmm. Tinted windows. We got pulled over by the police. And this was one of those things, hey, we weren't doing anything wrong. Um, basically, the police and basically the police in the town, they had a thing for, you know, messing with African Americans. And, you know, mm-hmm. basically people that lived in the town as well. Right. So um, the officer stopped us, pulled us over, basically was stopping us because of the tent that was in the car. Wait, wait, Ty, Ty, how many were in the car? Four. Four black guys. Four black guys okay. in, in a car. And we get pulled over because of tinted windows. The police made us get out of the car. Right. Once we got out of the car, uh, I know I was standing in the back by the trunk. Uh, another one of my line brothers was not far from me. I was in um, eye distance um, of him. Uh, my other two frat brothers were in the front, basically by the hood of the car. Right. Um, so as the police was going through the car, Basically, they found a bottle of alcohol. It wasn't, man, not one sip had been taken. Right. But the seal was cracked. It wasn't cracked all the way, but it was like cracked partially enough to, uh, okay, someone probably attempted, you know, to like, you know, unseal this bottle and take a drink, but they did. Right. So once the cops saw that, Man, he took all of us in. Mm. Now, he took that, all of us in off that. Now, I'm going to, look, you got to think about this. Central Illinois, this is not Chicago, man. Mm-hmm. You're in Central Illinois. You don't really know how things go down here. Right. You know, you don't know, hey, you know what? I may go to jail, be out in a couple of hours or whatever, they might not even hold us because, you know, we're all minors or whatever, you know? Right. This can't stick. Yeah. They had us sitting there for a while. And What's a while? Lucky, give me a, give me a, give me a, what you, uh, estimate. Man, it felt like, I know it was hours and hours. It had to be at least, man, like six to eight hours they had us in there. But, you know, to like a college student, Six that, to eight hours. That was three days. Man, it felt more like, man, it felt like three months, you know? And I can honestly tell you, Kevin, the only reason that it, the only reason why I could sort of make light of that, mm-hmm. sort of, is because I have my line brothers with me. Exactly. All right? Exactly. Now, this other incident I'm going to tell you, I did not have my line brothers with me. Um, and I was with a friend. 
okay? Um, I had just came back home from Illinois State. I was, man, I was back in Chicago. I had a corporate job. I worked for Sears Corporate out in the Hoffman Estate, okay? You was bowling. So, okay. Now, I want you to stay with that because in my mind, hey, I got a corporate job, you know, Man, I'm going to work all the way out here. Yeah, I live in the city, but you know, man, it's the whole mindset. Right. So I had a corporate job, man. I had like a little money in my pocket. I didn't have a lot of money, but you know, at that time I didn't have a child. So I had a lot of money in my pocket, you right. know, and life was great. Um, I get off work one day and uh, I get up with one of my friends. And we just take a ride, you know, to just go hang out, probably, you know, to get something to drink or whatever, you know, just go hang out, chill, and just talk about whatever was going on in our lives at the time. So, uh, mind you, we go, we get everything we need. We are on our way back to the mother of his child's house. Right. All right. Um, we're probably like a block away from the house and we're coming down the street in the car, all of a sudden, you know, like three police cars come out of like nowhere. Like one came out of the alley and the two, the other two cars pretty much, man, I don't know where they came from. I don't know if they were in the front or back, but all I know was it was three cars. We got out. Basically they made us put our hands on the cars, three police cars. And it was just us. Now it was just two dudes. Now, no weapons in the car or nothing? No weapons, no anything. I'm dressed. I have on slacks. I have on shoes. I didn't have on a tie, but I had up, but, you know, I had on a button-up shirt. In my mind, I'm thinking I got to be good because I just came from work. And, you know, man, right. I don't you even. got on the like, shirt and tie. Right. So I'm thinking that my appearance is is going to get me up out this jam, as the kid said, you know. So, um, but it didn't. If anything, you know, that probably gave them more fuel to just, like, mess with me because they knew I was, I, you know, probably wasn't from around there. And, you know, they just wanted to mess with me. Did they have they probable did. cause? Like, you know, like. No. Was, mm-hmm. No. Because that, we you know what? No, no. After hey. I said that, I was like, Kevin. Right. <laughs> of course, they didn't have probable cause because we fit the description of you know someone who had did something in the neighborhood. And in my mind, I'm like, so basically, you're telling me that this person that you're looking for has on dress pants, shoes, and a button-up shirt, and they just committed a crime. Yeah, that's called embezzlement. That's what they did. All right. Right. So exactly. That's what that is. Because you know what? I'm going back to your first story where they said mm-hmm. they were able because you had a a a uh open container to, yeah. to they took you to jail. To me, how that's one of the the smallest reasons to take somebody to jail. Four of y'all in the car. If one of y'all was drinking, really the only person that you should be concerned about drinking is the driver. And if he ain't exactly. drinking, if the other three are, what does, what's the problem? You know, Man. T- to to take people. It's not so much 
It's, it, it is taking people to jail. If you take the fact that they took you to jail, Ty, yeah. they don't understand that the trauma, the traumatizing starts just when we see those blue lights in in the rearview mirror. As a black man, that is the most scariest thing. That's that's number two. That's number one. When you yeah, see, that's number one. Number man. two is when your girl tell you she pregnant. Well, number, but. <laughs> You know what? They they might be one A and one B, but I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Both kind of you, don't you get know, the same man. feeling yeah. when you see the blue lights. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, oh I'm trying God. to be serious. Okay, okay. All right, all right. <laughs> but what I'm Good saying enough. is the trauma the traumatizing starts when we see those blue lights because we yeah. we don't say ah, I'm gonna get a ticket. Black men go, man, I hope this dude don't kill me. I hope I don't. You go. You go from ticket jail to hope he don't kill me. Man, look, I'll tell you. I live out in L.A. Okay, and uh, when I first got here, um, you know, I still had a lot of the idiotic man. I still had all of the ideals and all of the, you know rules and stuff of going up in Chicago when I first came right. to LA. Right. You know, I just thought, well, man, the police out here are going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I just had somebody like ask me like, man, dude, like, why did you trip? You know, when you see the police and, you know, it's this, <laughs> that, and the other. And I tried to explain to him. What, I'm like, was it a person of color that asked you that? Of course it wasn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Of course it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. Because a person of color knows. Exactly. But even with that, even even with that, um, I tried to explain to them, like, it's hard. Because being black, man, you have all kinds of feelings towards the police. Like, right. you know, I tell some of my non-black friends that, hey, if they wanted to go out and get a pack of cigarettes at three o'clock in the morning, they can go do that. <sighs> All right. Three o'clock in the morning to go get a pack of cigarettes. Right. I have to be careful. Right. You know what? You know, like, that's funny. I when have you anxiety. S- it's so funny. You said that one time I was, I forgot where, I forgot where I was. I know I was somewhere on the road. Oh, I was in Baltimore. And I was oh, sick. God. My stomach was upset. And it was like 2.30. And I was like, man. It's a convenience store down the street. I went just walked to this convenience store. And I got down to the bottom of the hotel. I was like, you know what, Kevin? I don't think you should risk your life to go get no Tums. Because not, I wasn't worried. I was more worried about the police more than I was worried about being, like, robbed or something like Man. that. Hey, I'm right. serious. I sometimes no. get more worried about the police than I am worried about somebody robbing me. And that's sad. Very. As a black man, it's frustrating. Because you have to worry about your life on so many other fronts, but the main front you're worried about is the police. Every, hey, Ty, it's this joke, man, Martin Lawrence told on Def Comedy Jam that sums it up for how black men act around police. Okay, he said, like, you know, you ever been walking with your woman and you arguing? And you like, yeah, yeah, no, girl, no, I told you that. The police ride by. What a black man do? Like, all right, wait till they go by. I'm going to finish. 
when they why about that's how programmed we are. That's, yeah. That that had no, that we weren't committing a crime, but we know if the police see us like that, that give them pro- probable cause to come mess oh. with us. Of course, I mean, but you know, society has just shown us, man. We, man, like our skin is a target. That's a weapon itself. Just having black skin is a weapon. You know. Um, Three words I despise hearing: unarmed black men. Right. You know what? We're so, all unarmed black men. We we well, are. Yeah, we are. But according to society, our skin is what I mean. Man, our arms color us. is what arms us. That's what they see as a threat. That's the first thing they see as a threat. So when people look, listen up, all my black people and people of color. When, when non-people of color tell you that they don't see color, that makes you look at them a little funny. Now. You should look at them funny when people tell you that they don't see color. Right. Because, you, man, if something happened to me, you would have to describe what I look like and what I had on, correct? Right. You see color. Exactly. Trust yeah. me. Look, look D.L. Hughley says... <laughs> People that say I don't see color <laughs> show be the first people to talk to the police going, it was a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about humor, it, it really breaks it down, but it really I mean, tells real. the truth. Humor <laughs> tells the truth. They like, I don't, oh, see, I don't color. see color. The police mm-hmm. say, did you see him? He was black. Black guy. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, but it's true. Yes, but it's true. But I want you to see my color. I don't have. You have to see my color. If you tell me you don't, I don't see color. That's bull. I see color. I see. Man, look here. Even blind people see color. They see color by voice, by inflection. Hey, I got, I got, I, I got an Uncle Morris. Man, he's blind. He can, he can tell if you black or white. He can't. And I ain't saying. By the voice or whatever, because sometimes you can't tell by that. But it's just something that he knows. He he yeah. knows that you could tell. Yeah. So don't say you don't see color. I want you to see my color. All my white friends, I they see my color. They know who I am. I'm just asking you to respect my color because I'm gonna respect you. Respect my culture, yeah, man. You know that's it. That's all. Look, no one is saying that. Hey, you know you have to do all this for me. I just need you to see me and acknowledge who I am. Thank you. Thank that's you. all. I mean, nine times out of ten, that's all we want is acknowledgement. That don't treat you me special. Recognize who we are. You know what? No, I don't. Look, I don't want all the special treatment. No. Now, I mean, now hold on. Now, if that come with money and all that, <laughs> I want no special treatment. Okay. Don't trip now. Let's not get it twisted. I'm you sorry. Know, I said. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. That's. Yeah, we do yeah, want to, I mean, now, you know, we're giving it, away money and stuff like that. Yeah. If it comes with some currency. Yeah. <laughs> really give us those treatments. All right. Well, the treatments we don't want, man. No. We don't need all that. Do you have a lot of cousins, Ty? Yeah, I got plenty of cousins. Okay, you know what, The to me, to me, the best part of being about you, around your cousins, this relates to color. The thing about cousins is there is no, like, that. 
we know each other's business. You feeling me, Ty? Yeah. So you yeah. could tell, you could say anything to your cousins, yeah. mm-hmm. because there's nothing <laughs> like you'd be like, well, that's mm-hmm. why your mama just got out of rehab. See, yeah, and, there we go, there we go. And then your know. cousins will say something. That's why y'all been moving. Y'all keep getting evicted. <laughs> right. We're on we the go. same level. There is, there's there nothing my cousin can say that can hurt me. What they probably could, no. but because we know we all on the same level, we see each other. We're transparent. Yeah, I mean. No one is, well, of course, now, don't get me wrong, it's family. You're going to have whatever issues you're going to have. With yeah, family. yeah, yeah, but, but you're close. You like, know, I mean, now that you're mature. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, now that I'm mature, man, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not out here trying to beef with, you know, cousins from years back or whatever. Look, whatever it is that you're doing, that's great. Right. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Like, and, and. And, I mean, honestly, I feel that, you know, should transfer over to, like, race relations. So you see how I'm relating that. Like, when you're with your cousins, they know you. They see you. They know you. They know who your mama and daddy is. They know everything about you. You transparent. Mm -hmm. So anything Mm -hmm. they say to you or anything you say to them, it don't matter because we all on the same level. We recognized that we're all on the same level. There's nothing you can say. Right there. So does somebody say, well, I don't see your color. Well, they don't see you. They're not seeing you. Don't think because you don't see my color that's telling me that how good you are. You're telling me that you won't take the time out to see my color, to learn who I am. That's all it is. All my white friends, they they could say they know the line. But when I say they know the line, I'm not saying... They going, well, we, I'm going to get close to the line. They know the line because they know it might offend me, and they don't want to mm-hmm. offend me because they care mm-hmm. about me, because they wouldn't be my friend. Because I know I've had I had a, 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 a white guy that was my friend. I thought he was my friend, and I heard him use the N-word. And at that, I couldn't be friends with him. I couldn't, I couldn't mm-hmm. be friends with him. So... That's why I try to get stories like from you to get different perspectives from black men to let them know it's different ways of 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 racism. Now, Ty, you oh, grew up in, you grew up in Chicago, and you went yeah. you went to Saint Ignatius, right? Um, no, I didn't go to Saint Ignatius. Okay. I went to Holy Trinity. Holy Trinity. But, I'm sorry, know, yeah. Holy Trinity. No, they sound alike. Really yeah, I really wish you were paid <laughs> enough to go to. Nations, but no. So did you, but so no, how um, was it going to that school, which I'm pretty sure was it was predominantly white, am I right? Now, I'm going to shock you when I say this. Oh, okay. Okay. okay? You know what? And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I really got this joke. But <laughs> when we were young, you know, like kids used to tease us for going to certain Catholic schools, man. All right, because if you went to the Catholic school in the hood, you know, kids would tease you. Ah, man, Mm -hmm. your mama can't afford to take you to no real school, huh? Right. So I tell people all the time, I didn't go to those real rich, fancy Catholic schools, all right? Like, man, like, we had, like, a wrestling team my freshman year at Holy Trinity. They practiced in the boiler room. 
Okay. All right. We didn't have any like fancy gyms or anything like that. Like my school was old school. But I will tell you, Holy Trinity for me, um, man, um, we had many of different races, black, Latino, African. It was Asian. Uh, Of course, we had white. Uh, We had Polish. Uh, Man, we just had all kinds of nationalities from around the world. Did did you feel one school? Did you feel insulated while you were there? Like protected? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Oh man! So, so, so to your point, when I was in high school, you know, life is funny sometimes because you can get what you want early in life, and it, and I mean, basically, it would really have you thinking that hey, this is the way life is uh-huh. until until you go through life later on, and right. you realize, nah. This ain't how life is. You were just blessed to have that moment. Yep. So Holy Trinity was one of those because okay. in actuality, Holy Trinity was what life should be. Everybody getting along, everybody of a different race getting along and talking here and there. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you had your incidences, you know, here and there where, you know, they may have been like some issues, you know, that people had against each other that were of different races, but you didn't hear too much about that. If mm-hmm. they had issues, they worked it out somehow. Right. Okay. But but Holy Trinity gave me the mindset that, hey, you know what, man, everybody out here in the world is equal and hey, we're all cool. And if I go over here and talk to this, you know, Polish person, they're gonna talk to me and they're gonna be friendly just like my friend at school. And if I go over here and talk to this Mexican person, they're gonna be friendly to me just like this, you know, person at school. And if I go over here and talk to this person over here they're going to be friendly to me just like these people are at school that wasn't the case no so I when you get out here yeah right. so it was a different thing when you left it was a different thing it's when i left it, life was not like that man it was a different thing when i left school every day to go home because that was just holy trinity right. now i can tell you where i grew up i grew up on 19th in california okay <sighs> Right across the street from Douglas Park, Ugh. right down the street from Mount Sinai Hospital, right down the street from St. Anthony's Hospital. Take your pick. It doesn't even matter. Both hospitals are horrible. I know. I know. <laughs> Say, hey, man, you know what? One time I was driving Uber and I dropped this lady <laughs> off at uh, at uh, Mount Sinai and the policeman yeah. had got out of his car. And as he got out of his car, he turned back and turned the alarm on the police car. I was like, What? That's how they doing it over here on 19th. You got to lock up the police car. That's how they do it. Yes. <laughs> Did he just chirp? Did he just chirp that police car? And the lady I was driving Uber in the back, she like, "Did he just turn his alarm on?" I was like, "He sure." Yeah, yes he did. Yes, so that's how did. y'all do it on over there. Over there. Hey, hey, boy, look. You better not get me started on healthcare on the west side, man. Hey, hey, hey. Um, but no, man. Um, yeah, like policing in the up. hood is whole different, man. We we know that. And 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 and, and you know what, Ty? Real quick, that's the the yeah. word policing. See mm. that you see what I'm saying? Black neighborhoods they police. White mm-hmm. neighborhoods they patrol. They patrol. 
It says, do you see that? Mm. They police. The wording, man. Exactly. Exactly, man. Wow. So, so you know, we, we, we almost out of time. But one of the things, Ty, real quick, I, I wanted to touch mm-hmm. on you about is um, your transition from Chicago to L.A. Tell yeah. me real quick, one, as far as um, race relations, as far as here in Chicago and here in L.A., what, is it a difference you see do, or is it pretty much the same? Or is something like, you know, it's, the police are a little bit more rougher out there in L.A.? Tell me. I don't um, know. I will tell you, as far as police relations go between people here and people um, back in Chicago, Chicago, if you're from Chicago, you already know how police are, you know, depending on where you grew up. Um, man, you may have had the most horrible experiences with police, or you may have had somewhat pleasant to mediocre experiences with police. Right. Here, it's a little bit different. Like, yeah, they do have, you know, the racial component and all of that. L.A. is so much more spread out. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I will say about L.A., um, there aren't cops coming in from the suburbs to come mm-hmm. in to work to police areas that they don't right. really know about. Right. In Chicago, we know that to be true. A lot of the areas that people patrol or 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 police, they don't even look like the, you know, people that they are in, in the neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah, they look nothing like those people it, in the neighborhood. That is that good or bad, police. though? Tell me. Is that, in Chicago, is, is, that's horrible. Okay. But here, but here I'm going to tell you because it's so spread out. Because LA is so spread out, yeah. you don't know who's living in the apartment next to you. It could be black, white, or what have you. Like, yeah, there are certain pockets, and yeah, I'm pretty sure the police are rough in those certain pockets. But where I am, and I can tell you pretty much for the most part what I see. Uh, they're not rolling down on you, mm. you know, for any and everything. It has to be a reason that they're going to, you know, mess with you. Now. One thing I have noticed about here in L.A., the police are not messing around with you as far as weapons. If you have a weapon, that is it. It's over for you. Everything else may be hit or miss or whatever. You know, you can sort of probably slide. But when it comes to weapons, they do not play with that. And they have certain hotspots that they set up. And if you're driving in that hotspot, you're going to get pulled over. So do not have a weapon. And that, and you know, I, everybody's always had that impression of LAPD is like being like real hard, and I still, I still think they are. And oh no, they are, they yeah. are. But, but you know what? Honestly, I'm going to tell you what it is. I don't think it's so much as LAPD, but if you go out to Pasadena, right? If you go out here to the like neighboring suburbs of LA, it's a little bit different. Do you you live in the city, right? You live in the yes, city. Yes, I yeah. Okay, I so. am in the city. I am not far from the uh, Staples Center, uh, downtown LA. Now this is, and, and the reason why I said the the LAPD are a little hard. I heard mm-hmm. um Glenn Plummer, the actor. He's an actor, and he was in that movie mm-hmm. Colors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 
he was telling how the LAPD was instructing Sean Penn on how to make an arrest. And so um, I don't know if you remember this scene in the movie where Glenn Plummer played some gangbanger and they was looking for him and they finally caught him and they had him yeah. up against the car. And if you look at that scene, Sean Penn is being so rough with this guy. Like he's been this and and the and the guy, Glenn Plummer, said, I had to check him. I had to tell him, you know, bro, you being a little hard. You know, if you want, he said Sean Penn slammed his face into the windshield. And yeah. and he was like, hey, Sean Penn was like, hey, they, that's, you know, LA, LAPD want us to keep it authentic. That's how it is. Mm. They did another take. He thought he told Sean Penn, you know, he was telling him, bro, you being a little rough. He said the second take, he was even rougher. See? And he, had, now, he had to check him on that. So that's what I'm saying. So, like LAPD is 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 how you instructing somebody to be rough, and this is a movie. Yeah. So everybody has their own pressures in the city that they grow up in. Mm-hmm. We grew up in we grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We know what pressure in Chicago is like, especially mm-hmm. from all ends. You know, from the police, society, people that you know, people places that you're trying to get to. We know those pressures. When I came out here to L.A., you know, like, my mindset had to change. You know, I had to let go of a lot of the stuff that I had held on to back in Chicago. All the stuff that I grew up knowing. I had to let that go because I was not there anymore. I'm not in Chicago anymore. I can't be defensive about certain things out here, you know, if they never come about. If I'm always on a defensive about something that never is that 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 like never may happen, then I'm gonna drive myself crazy. Yep. So I have to learn yep. how to let go. Yep. So I had to man, I had to learn to let go of those pressures that I brought out here with me. And now that I'm out here, like I do not consider myself uh, you know, Angelino, as they call him out here, you know. Uh man, I am not a California man, anybody asks where I'm from out is always Man, Shaw City all day, every day. Right. You know, I rep Chicago big time. Sometimes a little too much, but that's okay. You can never rep uh, Chicago too much. Oh, yeah. Well, no know, such man, thing, he, brother. Oh, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. You, you know, you tell these people I hear that. But, uh, but no. Um, so, you know, I tell people out here, like, you grew up with a different pressure than I have. Yes. The only thing I know of is stuff from the Rodney King beating, you know, like, mm-hmm. man, watch riots, Rodney King, you know, beating, things of that nature, and the stuff that we see on TV and movies and, and on record. So mm-hmm. that was my introduction to L.A. That was my introduction to Cali. So mm-hmm. now that I'm here, you know, um, Man, I've seen the police interact with a few people here and there. I have not seen them beat anyone. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen them get rough with anyone. I know that happens. Right. I just haven't seen it. Mm. But also where I am, I am not in a area where, man, you're going to have some of the things I had back in Chicago. Right. Hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I, have you... 
um, how are the protests out there in LA? Have you seen anything? Are they dying down or? Um, there was a big protest yesterday. Yes. Um, downtown, they are dying down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a little concerned about that. And um, why? Well, you're concerned about them dying down. Well, I'm concerned about the energy behind the protest. I don't want the energy behind the protest to die down. Honestly, Kevin, I believe we as black people are on the forefront of something big. I do. I do, too. Because for the first time in forever that I can remember, we actually have someone listening to us and they see us. Yes. Yes. Okay. I feel as if if we don't keep the pressure on, eventually we're going to go back into this lull where we were before and it's going to make it even harder for people to see us if we don't keep the edge on. I mean, we still have Breonna Taylor. We still have Ahmaud Arbery. We still have other, you know, injustices that we have to, like, correct. Right. Well and said, man. You are you man. are so correct with that. You are co- But one thing, one thing I must say, this is, I, I agree with you, but white society has to have these uncomfortable conversations. They have to. Yeah. They can, I, yeah. Trust me, I know a lot of them, the, uh, don't want to have those, but black people didn't want to have them, and we were forced to have them. Like, okay, this we morning, were forced to have, yeah. this morning, I'm listening to sports radio, and mm-hmm. they were talking about how we need to have these uncomfortable conversations, and they're ready to have these uncomfortable conversations because they're ready to move the country forward, and they're ready. But then I no, go and look, I look at the daily. They look at their schedule, and they're nothing but white men from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. White men. We aren't able to give our opinion on the sports is what brought all of this together with the kneeling and all of that stuff. That's Mm -hmm. where the protest. So 12 hours of prime time, there's not a black voice on your radio station to give an, an opposing opinion, to give you something that you can think about. You know, you're not ready to have those uncomfortable conversations. Not at least not so, here on this radio station. Well, no. Well, not just at that radio station, at a lot of other radio stations. We have to ask ourselves this question. What are people really apologizing for? Why why are you really getting money? Are you getting money in the sake of man, you really want to talk about race relations and you really want to open up that, you know, avenue or do you not want the black dollar to leave your establishment Mm -hmm. wow never thought about that i didn't think of it like that that. because everybody's sorry now so you mean to tell me that you wasn't sorry before right this is what everybody no not so much sorry but they hear us now oh so you couldn't hear us before that's that's what i'm saying like one of the I mean, one the one of the commentators that was on in 2016, 17, they was like, nah, I'm not with this kneeling, not with this kneeling. But last week he's like, you know what? I see now. Oh, it took somebody to die. You know why you didn't see it? Because you don't have a black person on this radio station every day no. 
to give you an yeah. opposing opinion or tell you yeah. why we're why we're protesting or why we're up in upheaval. Look. You know what, Ty? I'm gonna let you get the last word because we get out here. So, um, okay, let's wrap this up. This is my, okay, this is my last word. I'm gonna say this, people. If you're out there, I know, man. I know we've been missing sports. I know everybody's been missing sports. But hear me now, and hear me well. I may be unpopular with this. Um, decision I'm about to, or this thing I'm about to make, but I'm going to make it anyway. Don't be in a rush for sports to come back Mm -hmm. because that was the thing entertaining people in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Okay? That was their entertainment. Now, now that their entertainment has been taken away, they've been forced to hear us. Yep. Speak loudly. Mm. Speak loudly so they can continue to hear us. Right. Thank you. Tim, Tim, Tim Anderson of your Chicago White Sox. That's right, T.A. He, he said, now that we're not playing sports, you see us as human beings. He said that. And I like Tim Anderson. And I like to, Hey, I like Tim. So, Tim hey, hey, in true. your statement with, yeah, I said it. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, Tim, I said it. <laughs> Say it one more time, bro. Ty, let us know where we could we could see where we can contact you, where we can see your 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 show. Let us know, man. Look, man, I'm gonna wrap it all up for you in one big lovely bow. Go to tybrownlow.com. Right. If you go to tybrownlow.com, you will see, man, my other shows, Word with Ty Brownlow. I just started a youth and young adult initiative called the No Cap Kickback. Follow us on Instagram at No Cap Kickback. And follow me on Instagram at Word with Ty Brownlow. And you can go to tybrownlow.com to find out all the latest things that's going on with me. If you want to be interviewed, hit me up. That's right. And, and, and Ty, tell them uh, your, I love your saying. Tell them I love your Oh, saying. man, look here. The model of work with Ty Brownlow is no one is worthless and no story is worthless. Wow. Powerful, man. Ty, I love talking to you. One of the things, hey, real quick, one of the reasons why I love talking to you, because Ty Ty has me on his show and he likes me to tell jokes. I love making Ty laugh. Ty, I thought of a story (laughs) that I said, I said, if I tell Ty this, he going to crack up. Let me tell you that real quick. When I was 11, like in fifth grade, I was a terrible student, man. I was so disruptive in class. I was terrible, man. I I would not do any of my work or nothing. So one Saturday, man, my mother takes me to the grocery store. And I used to love to go to the grocery store with my mother. My sister wouldn't go. That was, I get to pick out the cereal. That was my job okay. with my sister. Do you know how that, I get to pick out the cereal. So I go to the mm-hmm. store with my mother and she's like, go get some cereal. I go get the big box of fro- uh, Frosted Flakes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me. Sugar Frosted Flakes. Remember okay. sugar? And sugar was in big bowl letters. Big bowl letters. <laughs> and it was all the way there. And trust me, when you took the plastic out, it was all the way at the bottom. All- trust me, I know, brother. <laughs> so I I'm, know. Like, I'm like, I got the big box of Frosted Flakes. <laughs> so now we're going down the aisle. Ty, I forgot that my teacher... 
live right across the street from school and that my mother and my teacher shared the same grocery store. (laughs) As I'm going out the aisle, here comes my fifth grade teacher. She sees me and my mother. She's like, Kevin, she looks at me. She goes, she looks at my mother. She goes, is this your mother? Now, Ty, at that moment, I had a decision to make. She asked me, was that my mother? And I could have said, I could have said no and had my funeral two weeks later. But then I said, no, yes, this is my mother. (laughs) Ty, Mm -mm -mm. they talked for about 20 minutes in the cereal aisle. She walks away. This is the cruel, this is the most traumatizing part of my life. My mother looks at me, reaches into the shopping cart, grabs the cereal and said, go put this back. Ma, why you even talk to her, man? Ty. Ma, I need you to do better, Ma. Bruh, my fifth grade teacher, I hated that bitch. (laughs) That bitch made me put back my cereal. The big box of sugar. Hey, hey, Ty, you you saw the color purple? Yes, I did. Remember remember when Celie was about to cut... uh, Missed the throat, and you heard that music. See, yeah, see, yeah. That's how that. every time I went to school, that's how I looked at her. <laughs> that bitch made me. It was on sale too, Ty. The big box. That bitch made me put my cereal back, Ty. <laughs> Boy, look, you know what? You know what? You need help, boy. Time, man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on my initial show, bro. And this hey, won't man, be the I last time. It. This won't be the last okay. time, bro. I really hey. enjoyed your your information that you gave us. You keep pushing forward, man. No matter what, man. Keep pushing forward. I I got a lot of faith in you. I love your show, and man, just keep doing your thing. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, and I am more than honored to be on the show today, man. All right. Take it easy, Ty Brown. All right, now y'all take it easy. All right. That was my man, Ty Brown Low. Um, Having him on my show. Yeah, I said it. That's it. Yeah, I said it. So be on the lookout. I'm about to really get this going. Kevin D. Williams. Y'all can look me up on Facebook. You can hit me up on Instagram, Kev's Comedy, K-E-V-Z Comedy. Look me up there. And now, you know what? I think I'm going to put up a page for my uh, show so we can you can contact me there. Um, also, thank I want to thank everybody. I want to thank Jason. Jason, my uh, producer. So I'm going to say he, he he sets up all the equipment. Next time I have, I'm going to have a guest in studio, and we're really going to keep this going. So this is Kevin Williams for Yeah, I Said It. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And I uh, hope to uh, see and talk to you guys later. Thank you very much.